At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations. We will say goodbye to Q2 today, the best quarter for stocks in 22 years. And a flurry of news. Powell on the Hill at 1230. More COVID restrictions in Florida, California, Arizona, New Jersey. Oil at 39 has nearly doubled for the quarter, Jim, as have names like Etsy, Thor, Wayfair and Spotify. A truly an historic three months. Yeah, well, look, uh, the stocks that of companies that cater to uh, home, that cater to ingenuity uh, using Shopify. We have one today, uh, Chipo- uh, Chipotle. Uh, the companies that that uh, fell a great deal or, or and made a snapback, like Twilio, where uh, makes it so that you can take your small business and take it large. What do these things have in common? They're omni-channel for companies that would otherwise fail. And I think it's this is an ingenuity quarter. I know there'll be people who say it's a V quarter. I know there'll be people who say it's because the Fed. I think it's companies that recognize what was the matter and found ways to make money. I found it a very inspiring quarter, given the cynicism that we're surrounded with and the negativity, which is frankly overwhelming for many people. Huh. So you think that even though the Fed has bought, what, 1.7 trillion in treasuries in four months, and even as that pace flattens out, we're going to continue to get innovation like that? I find that there's just innovation everywhere. I had Honeywell on last night. I mean, they're, they're solving the problem of the vials with plastic. You know, there aren't enough uh, vials to go around if it's just glass. We have the, and, and if we have some sort of vaccine, they're solving with ultraviolet the problems of, cle- of cleanliness in airplanes, maybe even movie theaters. Uh, they're solving so- the problems of building air. Uh, these are, co- I see companies all of the time. Now, I mean, some of the some of the uh, of the things that you see that are inventive, you may laugh at, like the chicken sandwich from Popeyes that has allowed them to have up 20 percent numbers. But I have seen the companies that we're talking about that did well. These companies pivoted. These companies understood what had to happen. And it's joyous. And I like them. And I like the fact that there are businesses with CEOs who adjust and who make money for, for their uh, shareholders and are not just caught up with the incredible speculation, which I think is wrong, or the sense that there's uh, the, all, all who enter are going to be facing doom. So I know that, that there's not been a lot of M&A, David. We saw a mirror. I know that's not that big. I know that there's a lot of people who believe <laughs> yeah. this is 100% Fed and Secretary Mnuchin. I think there's a lot of companies, David, that are just doing exciting things recognizing the new environment, and as Sadia Nadella said, accelerating the whole digitization by a couple of years. Maybe it's more than that as we listen to Micron later in the show. Looking forward to that interview, Jim, as well. But, you know, when it comes to this theme that you're talking about in terms of innovation and potentially efficiency, I do come back to what I continue to hear, 
which is it is going to be a different world. Sanjay Morota will be joining us, as Jim said. It is going to be a different world when we get to the other side of this. There are, are going to be a number of, there is going to be a significant percentage of your workforce that works remotely, right. that you're going to let work remotely, that you're going to be happy to have work remotely. You're not going to need the space that you once did. You're also using this period, by the way, 2020 overall, where you're largely getting a pass from the financial markets to pursue other efficiencies. Maybe that even includes quietly not rehiring people or furloughing people and it becoming uh, a, a full-time layoff. Uh, and so, Jim, I do wonder about that flip side. Innovation, yes, coupled with this changing world that we're all a part of right now, but I'm not sure how that's going to play in the real economy when it comes to jobs. Well, I, I think that we are facing a reckoning. Uh, Carl, you know these benefits have been so so bountiful. Uh, now, of course, obviously, versus CEO compensation, no. But the extra $600, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Every day there's a new part of the economy that I didn't know was doing poorly. Today, the freelance economy in California. Uh, there is a sense, uh, Carl, throughout this period that the stock market has uh, decoupled from the real economy. I'm not going to disagree with that. There are a lot yep. of companies that, frankly, uh, don't represent the United States, the real economy, the small, medium-sized business. But there are a lot of companies out there that figured out how to make money. And I think we don't salute them enough because, wow, we've got some CEOs who really recognize what David was talking about. The world has changed, and they recognize how to profit from it. That's a good point. Not only on large companies, Jim, but all the small businesses that we have on our air all the time, who've, who've managed to adapt. Uh, today is the last day to apply for PPP. Uh, that's had, you know, relatively good success if you talk to some of the people who've joined us. Uh, but it does point to Powell's testimony that we expect this afternoon, Jim, and that is that the economic pain has not been evenly spread out. And I wonder what you think he needs to say about further aid as we do approach some of these fiscal cliffs. Well, I think that they have to look at the companies that can't come back. Uh, companies that literally are not able to get to where uh, to when the vaccine kicks in. I was looking at some of the uh, new the new laws, uh, the uh, guidelines from the state of New Jersey. What they favor, Carl, over and over again, is the big company after, uh, before the little guy because the little guy really can't do the distancing because their places are much smaller. They can't add the plexiglass. They can't they can't make it safer than it already is. And I think they with with restaurants. I mean, you can only do in Paris. They've made it so all the streets, there's no parking. And what they've done is that you all the restaurants, uh, almost every one of them has outside. We have just begun thinking like that. So I think that he and Secretary Mnuchin have to recognize that there are some jobs, uh, hotel, restaurant, that have to be distinguished. And they have service that represents, say, 13, 15 million people. And they're going to have to be, uh, let's call them coddled. If you're uh, a laissez-faire person, let's say uh, offered continual help because they can't come back until there's a vaccine. We may decide that they're not important. I mean, I look at these cruise lines every day and I say to myself, are they that important? And I happen to like the companies very much. But is that what we're supposed to support? Are their bonds being bought? Uh, I think that there's going to be some industries that are going to have to be left by the wayside because they're not essential. But I genuinely believe that the hotel and restaurant cohort is going to go under unless they address them as a separate set of businesses that need help from the government. Hmm. 
Right. And, you know, Jim, I mean, you mentioned, of course, a vaccine, but that's not an insignificant part of the economy that you're saying is reliant on there being a vaccine, not to mention what is a significant portion of the population. I mean, you know, 15, 20 percent depends on how you measure it of the population that is still not going to feel really comfortable engaging in full economic activity until there's a vaccine. We focus on it for obvious reasons. Will it be later this year? We can only hope. More likely, though, it's probably deeper into next year when we really have a vaccine available. That's a huge economic toll, Jim. Yes. It's got to be. Yes. And uh, it's not just business, obviously. I mean, Carl, there's this, I read the Philadelphia Inquirer every day, and they uh, have this, uh, the faces and names of people who have done. Uh, and I go through them, and a lot of them are uh, in their 70s, in their 80s, in their 90s, in the 100s. And I think that there's some sort of weird nihilism in this country that somehow those lives don't matter. That's, hey, listen, those people, it was their time. That's ridiculous. And I think that that is uh, yeah. a- another sign of the callousness of our government and the belief that somehow when you reach a certain age, it's OK for you to die because of covid. These people should be protected. But you know what? The cynicism prohibits it in the same way. The cynicism prohibits wearing masks, which is insanity. Thank That's- heaven. Some of the some of the airlines are saying something. But I find our country embarrassing at this point. We're, no, the EU won't let our people uh, come back. The yeah. EU? It We're does the greatest feel, country on It does Earth. feel like that. It feels like that tide is turning, Jim. Uh, Senator McConnell yesterday saying there's no stigma in a mask. Sean Hannity on Fox last night saying, I think they work. Uh, Goldman with a report out today talking about the uh, benefit you could get from a nationwide mask mandate. And then the CEO of United Airlines on our air yesterday saying, if you want to fly United, you will wear one. Take Amen. a listen. Amen. Wasn't that great? Uh, and especially If you refuse to wear a mask, we're just not going to allow you to travel on United until the pandemic is over. And it really is about protecting others and protecting their safety. And we're serious about this. You just got to do the right thing. Uh, I thought that was so great. What courage. I mean, they're going to fill those planes. Uh, I think Dr. Siegel, uh, Jeremy Siegel was right in saying, look, if you guys are really doing it great and you have good numbers that says that you're not, uh, that people aren't getting sick. And I had Honeywell on last night and they're able to make the planes cleaner. Uh, so it really is up to the individual people to wear masks. You'd be fine. Hatsius talks about masks versus closing down the economy. Uh, and, and I think it's rather remarkable, the lack of G- the GDP crush versus wearing a mask. And uh, I know I personally am involved in a project to try to uh, fund uh, a mask. It's uh, a mask that people will like. Uh, you'll hear about it in a couple of weeks. It's just something I care about. Why? Because I cannot bear to see this thing. I mean, look, I'm, I, you know, am I, uh, I, I'm nobody. I'm a guy who has two shows. But, geez, we've got to unite. <laughs> we got to unite. We can't yeah. have the GDP well, down 5% because, because of live free or die, wow. the mask. I mean, give me a break. How about seatbelts and cars? The what only. a drag they were. I hated them. Yeah, we're the only country that has politicized the wearing of a mask, and it's very much unfortunate, and it shows in the numbers. There is some hope, you know, as you might imagine, hedge funds are employing a lot of uh, scientists to take a look at things because it may give them an edge. And apparently there may be some cities in Texas, depending on the data you're looking at, um, that are starting to turn positively, which is good. Yes. Turn in the right way. 
Uh, I think Florida continues to be a real question mark and concern out there. And then there's this belief that when you do say, okay, we've got to get on this, you start to see about 10 days later a response in terms of the numbers, uh, new infections, hospitalizations uh, a bit. But we're watching it all very closely. And of course, we all do see those comparisons with the EU, for example, 440 million people versus 330 million. And our numbers are, are horrible. Um, at this point, guys. So we can only hope that it's finally sort of going to wane as a political issue. Right. Which one might never have anticipated when this pandemic began. In the meantime, the stocks that went up this quarter, uh, a curious admixture of of financial services. Uh, Again, in this case, it's the anti-Wells Fargo's. It's fintech. Uh, Tesla, obviously, on everybody's mind. Tesla's causing a great hunt among speculative people who are looking for uh, Nikita or they're looking for Workhorse. I'm trying to analyze these companies, and they're not easy. Workhorse Group is not easy to get your arms around. They obviously have some things uh, that that are admirable in the EV space. But uh, Mercado Libra being the largest NASDAQ, well, that's not United States. That's Latin America. Now, Latin America, obviously, it's an eBay of Latin America. Uh, rather, or you could say Amazon, eBay. But when you look at what's winning, uh, you, you do get the irony that both PayPal and eBay were the same companies. What a, what an undervalued security that was. I know people think that Zoom is still is overvalued. Wow. Um, not if we stay at home. Not if we stay at home. That was really shrink to grow. That was an actual shrink to grow. It was, was a, a PayPal from eBay with amazing yes. people on the e, on the uh, PayPal side. Really, just brilliant people. eBay side too. eBay's coming back, by the way. Guys, we've got a lot to get <laughs> okay. to this morning. Uh, there's there's the banks. Uh, Wells Fargo, of course, as Jim mentioned. We'll talk about the Facebook ad boycott continuing to grow. Uh, China news as they signed that security law regarding Hong Kong into effect. And then, as Jim said, uh, Micron on the, the show this hour. We'll talk some Xilinx, too, when Squawk on the Street returns. Brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional quality expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Presumptive Democratic presidential candidate uh, Joe Biden uh, weighing in on taxes today, telling potential donors that if elected, he would, quote, get rid of the bulk of Trump's $2 trillion tax cut. And a lot of you may not like that, but I'm going to close loopholes like capital gains and stepped up basis. Uh, Biden also saying he would hike the corporate tax rate to 28, looking to raise an estimated $1.3 trillion over the next decade, Jim. Something he told Squawk Box uh, earlier in the month, I think, and something that uh, people like uh, David Costin at Goldman have talked about uh, broadly in terms of uh, market impact and earnings impact. Yeah, look, uh, you, you really slice a gigantic amount of, uh, of the S&P profits. And when you start talking about capital gains, you know that there's it, at times uh, capital gains have been taxed like ordinary income. At times they haven't. Uh, capital gains are really the uh, province of the wealthy. 
there's not any dispute of that. If you're going to say, listen, that's not true, you're obviously uh, ill-advised. And, and so I think that what the market goes down, I've been saying that. I, I mentioned that the market goes down because the S&P price, uh, earnings go down. And I think there's a lot of people who don't even recognize that there is a correlation. Uh, but, you know, David, we have a lot of new people have come into the market. And I think they are uh, uh, baffled about the notion of things like the S&P profits and, it, and how it relates to price earnings multiple. And I, I got taught by Lee Cooperman at Goldman. I, I know when I started, I didn't recognize the, uh, the relation, and I was wrong, and I got taught, and then I taught others. So, you know, David, w- what I see is that there are people who just don't even think that, that, that what Biden says matters when we know that that would cut earnings. You may favor it, hate them or like them, it does cut earnings. It, it may well cut earnings. And of course, we are still sitting here. Uh, certainly, we have debates when Secretary Mnuchin joined us, well, previous to the pandemic or Larry Kudlow, about the impact of the 2017 tax cuts, Jim, whether they really were a broad-based way to get the economy moving in a much stronger fashion or whether they were a particular um, benefit to corporate America, which then went out and spent a lot of the, uh, of the newfound profits on buying back stock. So that debate will continue. One thing that I think will not be in debate, though, whomever the administration is, whether it's the current one or whether it is a Biden administration, is going to be facing enormous budget deficits and the need to potentially raise more revenue if and when the economy does start to get going again. And we're on the other side of this pandemic. We're talking about, of course, record budget deficits now as a result of all the uh, uh, replacement aid. I don't really call it stimulus that we've had uh, put into the into the market uh, and that's expected to continue for some time. I, I don't know, Jim, how taxes are going to be viewed. But to your point, of course, to the larger question of the disparity in incomes in this country that has been widening more or less, let's call it, for the last 20, 25 years, capital gains, some say, and taxing it as an ordinary income would be at least one way to start getting at that. Right. I mean, I think you go back to President Reagan. Um, I thought he did a lot of good things, and I think he would be aghast at uh, the Republicans and how much they've given away. Uh, again, you guys got to read the history. He, he, he just didn't favor what we're ha- what's happening, but he did change the tax code to, to fix some loopholes. Uh, Carl, I think that, that it, it's not our generation that's going to have to face this problem. So I think that we can, you know, we're very cavalier, but there will be a generation that will have a reckoning. Um, I've got Dave Cody on tonight. Uh, he is uh, the former CEO of Honeywell and has been one of the principal preachers of let's worry about our grandkids and what's going to happen because it is pretty it's a little nutty. Yeah, no, I definitely want to hear from Cody on that. And of course, we'll get a CBO forecast uh, later in the week, which we'll talk expressly to this topic. When we come back, guys, we'll talk to Micron up 50 percent from the March low. Sanjay Marotra is going to join Jim uh, later on in the hour when we come back. For more than a decade. Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. 
I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Futures just uh, slightly weak here, mixed actually, if you look at the NASDAQ as we close out Q2. Best quarter for the NASDAQ since Q4 of 2001 and best quarter for Dow S&P since Q4 of 98. We're back in a moment. Let's get a mad dash with Jim watching a little CMG. Yeah, when you think about why uh, Chipotle or Spotify had such unbelievable gains during this quarter, that's I think about innovation. So this morning, uh, Chipotle announces a virtual farmer's market powered by Shopify. Uh, Those of us who have been cooking because our uh, spouses are somewhere else where where it's safer, get this. Uh, Farmers around the country have had to destroy millions of pounds of fresh goods due to decreased uh, demand with restaurants, hotels, and schools closed. Chipotle's farmer's market aims to give Chipotle suppliers a new stream of revenue. Sure enough, Nyman Ranch, Petaluma Creamery, McCaskill Family Farm, and Meister Cheese... Well, I've got to tell you, Carl, this is what I'm going to order from. Uh, the kind of uh, original thinking about great food that is being destroyed uh, by a company that cares about its farmers and by a company, Shopify, that powers so much of this new economy that is uh, shocking. It's shocking people how Shopify, uh, probably one of the most even appear uh, valuable companies that you can find in the new economy. So I point this out as literally the kind of change that we're getting in order to adjust to the new world. And I salute both companies for trying to make it so that the uh, farmers do not have to destroy food for a country that desperately where so many people mm. need it. Yeah, no, that is that's that's hard stuff to watch. And of course, it comes a day, Jim, after we talked about their Grubhub partnership as they continue to unlock the uh, puzzle of delivery. And there's Grubhub uh, out with a, a, a European bid, and now we're starting to talk about Uber uh, buying Postmates for may, maybe almost three billion. I wish David knew something about this. It would be the biggest deal we have. David, you back? Yeah, there, David. Couple. I am. A couple back. different headlines yeah. on on Postmates. Yeah. Um, you know, listen, we see that sometimes uh, IPO route or or sale route. Uh, that is not, uh, you know, that's something that frequently companies that are thinking about the public markets in some way are, are, are going to sort of weigh uh, which is the best route. So not that surprising. We also, of course, know that Uber does see the need to consolidate. We went over and over and over what was going on between Uber and Grubhub and, of course, the antitrust implications of that deal, which ultimately was one of the main reasons why it did not make it. And then Grub, of course, selling uh, to a European competitor, which is not going to necessarily lead to consolidation in the market, but this would. So do you eventually get down to three competitors, Jim, I guess, is a key question. Uh, One of them being Uber with Uber Eats and whomever it may be, in this case, Postmates, then a DoorDash, and then the Grub uh, 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 deal as well with, uh, with takeaway. Right. Look, I think that's what has to happen. Uh, there's too many of these. Uh, they've gotten very cutthroat. You can get some good deals now if you're a restaurant. Uh, I would say that uh, Bastian Lehman, the uh, Postmates fellow, last night 
Uh, the story was he's filed a confidential IPO, and then this morning you come in and it's uh, Uber wants to buy. I, I happen to like Postmates very much. Uh, we need competition among, uh, even if it's three companies, that's absolutely fine, uh, because what happens is that some of these companies don't have coverage. So uh, if you have three strong companies that you that you can spread around and be able to work with, I mean, right now at, at one of my restaurants, we have our, uh, we which is a PP, uh, uh payroll protection, a paycheck. Uh, we're using our staff to, as with bicycles, to do it ourselves just because it's too expensive to use these services. But uh, they are integral to the larger companies. Chipotle uh, yesterday talking about Grub, they, they did not talk about Uber. They had signed a deal with Uber in, in the spring. So, uh, yes, and I, I'm watching this Postmates because uh, this is a company that is – uh, if it was really going to be worth $2.7 billion, I'm, I'd be quite surprised. But there are, if that's the case, then Mirror should have gone public in a billion. The company was bought by uh, Lulu. You guys ever use Mirror? Carl, have you yeah, used Jim. Mirror? I, you- I, we've had the uh, Mirror founder on Squawk Alley, I think, uh, last fall. Uh, $500 million, as you said, not huge, but uh, some pretty positive commentary about how Lulu is thinking uh, beyond physical retail, certainly, even beyond e-commerce. It's about content. I was very, very impressed because uh, that was something I thought Nike should buy because Nike talked endlessly about membership, uh, and uh, they got scooped. I think that uh, we've got to think about what Nike's up to. They're not thinking big enough. Hmm. There's the opening bell, guys. Dow's down about 100. Speaking of Lulu, Jim, uh, McDonald was on. Our air last night talking not about, well, talking about Mirror, but also talking about the growing list of companies that have joined the boycott of Facebook advertising in the last 24 hours. Ford, Microsoft, ConAgra, Clorox, Best Buy, Adidas, Puma, Reebok. Here's what he said. We believe that, uh, you know, we all own a responsibility in creating an inclusive society. And we have an opportunity to use our brand and our voice to drive meaningful change. We're in conversations uh, with Facebook. Uh, We had uh, a great partnership. We're standing and supporting the campaign, and we'll look for change uh, on their part to sort of determine moving forward. All right, looking for change, Jim. Everybody is. I've talked to a number of the consumer packaged good companies, uh, and it's always the same. Um, They're in constructive dialogue. Uh, They're sitting with Mark. They're talking to Cheryl. Give me a break. Make the change, Facebook, but you, we don't understand. Now, one of the technology-oriented CPG fellows that I talked to basically says, look, uh, it costs a lot of money, uh, uh, but we look at uh, to do that. But I also say, listen, we have an FCC in our country. Uh, and if you're a newspaper, if you're what we do, you couldn't do what what uh, what Facebook's doing. And I think that the idea that they should be any different uh, is starting to really rankle people uh, because uh, these big companies just can't be next to hate. Because uh, it hurts their sales. And, David, you know um, that uh, Facebook has been trying to get away with this for a long time. And this seems to be one of those moments where uh, big corporate America is, is not going to take it anymore. It doesn't appear to be. I think it's an important, maybe even a seminal moment, Jim. At the same time, yes. investors don't seem to be con- particularly concerned. Eight million I mean, investors. Was it eight, up eight yesterday? Million it's not, 
Not right. doing anything today, right? So even the big guys don't really matter. There it is. It's up now. They've never done it, well with consumer just, packaged goods. They haven't made any right. as the inroads. Now they, you know, Facebook in many ways is flawed when it comes to the consumer packaged goods. They, but they, I don't think that they've tried to woo them as much as they have. Just all the money that comes in over the transom. But uh, you're, we are at a moment where I think Mark Zuckerberg has to say. You know what? I really misjudge this country. Uh, the cor- corporate America is changing rather rapidly. I don't even care if small and mid size stay with us. We're going to make this uh, and then figure out a price Pr- using artificial intelligence to be able to spot certain things that we all know are bad and then get individual humans to look at it. I don't know. Maybe it costs a couple billion. Uh, I, but you know what? Take right. the hit. Take the hit. But but there, no, he, I, he's I, a young fella and he's he's he, likes to do what he, he does. And, um, and, he does. And and he he trusts his instincts because he trusts his instincts because they've served him well thus right. far. Uh, but I listen. It, it is a it is a key question. It's not just hate speech as well. It is also some things that are simply untrue. But how far does Facebook go? And as we know, they can face pressure from both sides of the political spectrum. But certainly, you know, from the from the president, for example, uh, it, it puts them in a difficult position. But it's very interesting. And important, I think, to, to note that corporate America seems to be more and more speaking with one voice on this matter, Jim. Well, look, I mean, Whether or not it has any impact on Facebook's right. business. It, it, it's sort of if Mark Zuckerberg. Given the points and, you're making. You have a board and you decide to uh, you do outside counsel. Uh, you get the best. You get some constitutional lawyers. Uh, and you, this is like uh, when Potter Stewart said, listen, I, pornography, I know it when I see it. Uh, and you arrive at a consensus that, that does... Uh, epitomize the best. This is not hard. Uh, if I were on Facebook's board, I would solve this in 48 hours. I'm not. Uh, why would I know it? Because I see it. I just like Potter Stewart. And it really is, it rankles many of us to realize that uh, Mark runs the company uh, the way that um, it, it, it's his own. And I think that the board has to address this, but they're largely silent. And you know what? They don't give a damn. They're making a lot of money. And you could say that they may think that they give a damn, but what you do is you hire some people who may hurt your profits. It's what bank, it's what people do. Hey, by the way, it's what Fox News did. I mean, they hired Paul Weiss, and then everybody got fired. <laughs> you know, when you really hire an honest broker, yeah. things yeah. are things. But, the but, chips but this fall. is an ongoing. This is an this is an ongoing cost as opposed to that one-time cost. No, but, no, but I'm saying absolutely I mean, ongoing cost. Facebook would have cost. to employ. An enormous amount of people and or uh, 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 technology right. to, that it would develop to be able to identify what you're talking well, about. And that would be an ongoing world. effort that would ultimately hurt their margins, which, of course, as we know, are, are incredible. Well, you know, look, um, the time has come. Uh, the, their history's turning against them. They can do whatever they want. There's a, there's a path for them. And you could argue that all the CPG companies are wrong. Or how yeah. about this? Who cares if they're wrong? Why not do what's right? And, and I'm not saying go left or right. I'm saying point people. Look, there's like look at Justice Justice Roberts. Okay, there are people in the New York Times who are saying, listen, that abortion decision. Nah, he doesn't really believe it. It's other issues. But you know, there are people um, who could say Justice Roberts is one way. Justice Roberts is another. I mention only because there are there are people who are like Justice Roberts who you can hire. And, and you can say, listen, guys, help us. We don't know what's right. Go talk to uh, please go talk to Clorox. 
uh, uh, please go talk to Starbucks. Uh, uh, go talk to these companies that are saying no to us, and let's find out what they really want. And it's not left or right, but I just feel like the, the Facebook's going to be, one day we're going to come in and Facebook's numbers are going to be down because of this. Not now. I mean, J.P. Morgan has put up a very good Maybe. defense, but the number's not being down. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's consumers that will need to actually speak with their feet, Jim. Uh, and, you know, the Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp platforms start to actually see that. That may be a different story. Well, it may That's not That's not the case happen. right now. Billions of people happen. use their services every, you know, all, every day. I think it's great. I think they did the, uh, they did the, the shops. I think that was great. I think they should, they should help. They should set up a fund to be able to uh, help minority businesses. That's something they should have done about a year ago. Uh, they should care about this ongoing discussion. They should actually sit down with Mark Benioff, uh, who has called him a cancer. But why do you do these things? You do these things right. because you have to, the arc of justice. It takes a long time. Dr. King was right. But, but, but it does happen. And, and you want to be on the right side. And they can be on the wrong side for now. Uh, but obviously, things are changing ra- rather rapidly. And I think that when you have most CEOs on, they recognize that, that it, that the time has changed, and Zuckerberg doesn't seem to get that. Done some things right, but uh, this is not left. Again, it's yeah. not left or right. It's just what's happening in the country. I mean, look at Minneapolis. Um, guys, I'll, Jesus. guys, I, I want to get to a couple of yeah, a couple of quick things. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the lack of merger and acquisition activity. Postmates and Uber seems to be one of the only companies that seems set on really trying to pursue a transaction. But of course, we are keeping a close eye on deals that were assigned prior to the pandemic. One of the key ones is Tiffany. LVMH had its annual meeting today. And as you might imagine, there were a number of questions to uh, Mr. Arnault, um, the founder, the man who runs it, uh, about um, that Tiffany deal. They didn't have much to say. Uh, here's the quote. Uh, we believe Tiffany is one of the most iconic uh, in that respect, referring to something else he said, has its place in the LVMH portfolio and have nothing to add. There have pe- been people who've been focused on the lack of a, any trust filing as yet with the EU as a sign perhaps that LVMH continues to slow walk this deal, looking for yet another opportunity it might have to try to get a price cut, as I've indicated earlier, was Mr. Arnaud's desire. Um, but I am also hearing that that really is not the case, that the lack of a filing on the EU at this point is not the result of slow walking, but is simply a strategy on the LVMH side that says we're not ready to yet go to the EU because they need to absorb a lot of stuff that we're going to be throwing at them. There's a 25 day clock. We don't want to get thrown into a phase two, which then starts a 90 day process. And so they are waiting in that respect. And that, frankly, they say, we understand how the EU works a lot better than you do, Tiffany. And so this is not a sign that in any way we're trying to slow walk this deal. That said, I still believe that at least Mr. Arnault, if he saw an opportunity, would try and take one. But it's very much unclear he's going to uh, see any opportunity here in terms of being able to try to get that price cut that he's been after, as we know, uh, for some time. You can see Tiffany shares, though, continue to trade roughly $15 below the all-cash deal price of $135. Uh, Jim, send it back over to you. Well, you I, I'm following that one. I'm following Simon Properties, too. Uh, Talman uh, cut yep. the dividend last night by Simon, but they're still very interested, I think, uh, at a certain price, like maybe like down substantially. All right, shares of Micron yeah, jumping zero. this morning uh, on the company's better-than-expected quarterly results, upbeat revenue guidance, but most importantly because the analysts got it wrong. 
A lot of people are way too negative. There's still many, too many neutrals joining us now. And CNBC exclusive is Micron CEO Sanjay Marotra. Sanjay, uh, you did it again. You surprised them. At what, point, at what point do the analysts realize that it's not about surprise? It's about secular trends that you're riding, including 5G and most importantly, the data center. You're right, Jim. Um, our fiscal third quarter, we delivered strong results ahead of the expectations that we had guided to in March. Uh, in March, uh, of course, uh, we were impacted by certain supply related to COVID. However, our operations team performed extremely well. And on the demand side, we saw work from home driving strength in the data center demand. The workloads related to work from home, absolutely, as we saw, compared to pre-COVID expectations, a strong demand growth in the first half of the year on the data center side. We also saw demand growth in uh, enterprise PCs and of course, e-learning environment. All of this helped us deliver healthy results. And as we look ahead, we see healthy demand on the data center side. Jim, uh, hyperscalers have talked about CapEx investments, you know, being strong this year, and that bodes well for the data center demand. In addition, the stimulus in the economies around the globe, that bodes well for digitization of the economy. All those trends that were two to four year trends, are being accelerated into a few months now. So these trends board well. So while compared to the first half, the demand in cloud, in data center, Mm -hmm. may moderate in the second half, yet the demand is healthy. And in addition, of course, as the economies around the globe improve, some of the smartphone demand, some of the consumer demand will come back. And Micron is a very well-diversified company across multiple end markets, and we have delivered strong execution with our technology and products, and that bodes well for long-term health of the company. Well, but, Sanjay, why does uh, fiscal year 20 front-end equipment capital expenditure, why is it down 40% from the fiscal year 19, given all those opportunities? Well, we want to make sure, Jim, that we manage our supply bed growth in line with the demand expectations. We don't want to oversupply the market. So we are exercising strong discipline in terms of our CapEx investments. We want to make sure that CapEx investments have strong return on the invested capital. And we are executing well with our technology transitions. So we are being disciplined. We are managing the supply growth well to align it with the demand expectations from our customers. And you are seeing overall healthy results. This is an important aspect of New Micron. Being disciplined, focused on profitable growth, and of course, product leadership to continue to address our diverse and market opportunities. I want people and we will remain to disciplined with respect to CapEx investments in the future as well. People have to understand at home that this is a new uh, micron. So many quarters of uh, positive free cash, positive cash flow, uh, and the analysts don't seem to recognize it. But I do want to talk about something that you mentioned that is a tough subject, and you know it better than anyone. Recent restrictions on Huawei are also impacting our opportunity in the near term. Uh, again, we also have Hong Kong. I know Hong Kong doesn't trade that much. It's just a couple percent. But uh, what is the China Cold War uh, doing to, uh, to Micron? So certainly U.S.-China trade relations uh, create some uncertainty, you know, in the overall business. However, we are a very important partner, supplier to drive the innovation agenda of our customers in China as well. So Micron continues to be a strong supplier to the companies in China, of course, while abiding by all the rules and regulations of the U.S. administration. Important thing also, Jim, is that our business is well diversified. We have customers all around the globe. While China is an important market for us, we, of course, are well diversified out of China as well. 
uh, Sanjay, this uh, analysis of 5G is about as beautiful as I've seen in your conference call. Uh, the strongest memory and storage content growth. 5G requires just a huge amount of Micron product, doesn't it? Absolutely right. 5G will be a long-term growth driver in our industry and certainly requires more memory and storage. You know, what we highlighted in the conference call, Jim, was 5G is now moving even to the low-end and the mid-range phones. And when you compare how much memory it needs, it requires 6 gigabyte minimum that we have seen on 5G phones at the low-end and mid-range phones compared to 2 to 4 gigabyte of DRAM in the 4G phones. High-end phones uh, have even 8 to 16 gigabyte of DRAM built into it. So 5G is a strong driver in smartphones for DRAM content as well as for NAND content. And of course, 5G is not only about smartphones. 5G is about IoT. It's about intelligent devices at the edge. It's about automation in the factories. All of these trends in multiple end markets will be a strong driver of growth. And I like to say that 5G drives helps drive a virtuous cycle of more intelligent devices at the edge, driving greater need for more intelligent data analytics in the cloud. So it's a virtuous cycle from cloud to the edge with 5G, and that it bodes well because all of that requires and creates more data. Data lives in Micron's products, right? So this is a long-term trend. Uh, 5G as a growth driver for memory and storage. And Micron is well positioned with several leading products for various end market applications to address the growth opportunities that 5G will be driving. Yes, Sanjay, I was thinking about it when I was reading this versus, say, 93, 94 during the great uh, debacle at Micron. Uh, right now, you, you have uh, $9.3 billion in cash uh, versus debt of 6.7. At this point in the cycle, I'm so used to seeing Micron have 9.3 in debt and 6.7 in cash. You've been a remarkable, you and your CFO, since he's a smart fella, uh, you have been remarkable, uh, let's say, stewards of your cash position. How is that possible, given the analysts always telling me that this is the most cyclical of all technology companies? Like you noted, Jim, earlier, this is a new Micron. The new Micron is about product leadership, building high-value solutions. In NAND, for example, now we have more than 75% of our bits going into high-value solutions, which give you higher margin opportunity. We are extremely disciplined in return on investment on our invested capital. So the company is being disciplined, driving product leadership, executing well, supply chain execution extremely well. All of this is resulting in a solid financial strength for the company, and you're absolutely right. I mean, our net cash position is solid. Uh, 14th consecutive quarters of free cash flow in the company. Even through the cyclical downturn in the industry, Micron stayed healthy in terms of financial results. And this is very different from the Micron of the past. And this is what is the focus of the company, to drive greater intimacy with customers, bring greater value to them, and in the process, build greater value for Micron business as well. No, it's real. It's different. Congratulations, Sanjay Marotra, Micron Technology CEO and President. It's always great to see you, sir. Great to see you too, Jim. Thank you. All right, Carl, back to you. All right, Jim. Yeah, Micron helping to lead the S&P right now. We're getting Chicago PMI. Let's get to Rick. Yes, Carl, June PMI for Chicago expected to be in the mid-40s. A bit of a disappointment. Came out at 36.6. This sequentially follows an unrevised 32.3. That was a 38-year low. This 36.6 is the best number of, uh, since March. We're, we're at 47.8. 
maybe some big news. Even though Treasury yields are somewhat unchanged, let's go to the board. Yesterday's closes in threes, five, sevens, 16 plus base point, all time low yield close for a three year, 27 plus basis points, all time low for a five year, and 46 plus all time low for a seven year. Now, these maturities are hovering near unchanged, which means they're still guns hot. They could extend that, uh, more basis points lower. The point is, is that we, we finish off this mid-year, final quarter, second quarter. What we are seeing is a, a real rush for safety with regard to treasuries and sovereigns, mostly across the globe. Even corporate securities on the investment grade, as you look at the ETFs, have been outperforming their high-yield counterparts. So we want to pay close attention as the nervousness of late is really putting extra demand on high-quality collateral. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you. As uh, Rick's been speaking, we've been getting some breaking news out of the EU, reopening borders uh, to 14 countries, but not the U.S. Seema Modi's got that. Hey, Seema. Carl, that's exactly right. The European Union beginning to reopen its borders to 14 countries outside of Europe, what it is calling its safe list. The U.S. is noticeably absent, so that in other words means Americans are barred from entering Europe starting July 1st, which is tomorrow. Some of the countries that made the cut include Australia, Japan, South Korea. This list will be up updated every two weeks and will evaluate a number of different uh, criteria, including the epidemiological situation, the case count in regards to COVID-19. So there certainly seems to be an evolving situation here as the EU looks to reopen its borders and lift restrictions that, of course, have hurt a lot of economies in Europe that are so dependent on tourism. For example, Croatia, which makes up 20 percent of its GDP from tourism, Spain, Italy and Greece, 10 percent or more in summer, uh, Carl, I should point out, is when you see these countries really see the bulk of that tourism revenue made. Yeah, uh, thank you, Seema, for that. Jim, uh, your thoughts on this, knowing uh, certainly Italy uh, well, they actually are lifting the restrictions from China if it's reciprocated. Yeah, I mean, it does have that kind of uh, developing world feel versus a developed nation. I haven't been to play. You know my place in Italy. Can't get there. Uh, daughter coming in from Spain. Can she come back? Don't know. A uh, lot of. Uh, I think that my situation obviously is a microcosm of a whole group of people who would be traveling otherwise. Another reason I think that, that where the airlines are problematic because they make a fortune on these routes. Uh, so it is a business story, very much a business story, and very much being ignored. Uh, and that's a shame because obviously uh, uh, travel is a, is a very important. Uh, part of the world and part of our business. And it's clear, again, it's because the mask. I'm watching my Twitter feed. People hate the mask. It's like, you know, hey, again, it's like with Facebook. Guys, things have changed. And, uh, you know, my generation is is much too old to even maybe change their ways. But um, things have changed. And we got to get back in in the game. The United States got to get back in the game. Um, those economies, as Seema pointed out, of course, some of them very much dependent on tourism and U.S. travelers, an important component of that. You know, we haven't talked about Italy's um, national debt in quite some time, but it is one of the largest bond issuers that's out there. At some point, that may come back to the fore in terms of focusing on that country's uh, ability to continue to service it. Of course, it's part of the EU. Um, but you can't blame them, can you, Jim? I mean, we're 5% of the world's population. We're 25% of the world's cases. No. Thankfully, our death rate does appear to be declining. 
No, you can't blame them at all. I mean, the, when you look at New Jersey, we were supposed to have uh, open restaurants. And there were pictures this weekend down the shores, we say from Philadelphia, of just uh, clamoring at bars. I mean, like better times than ever. And, you know, again, I, I keep coming back to this. Until you get a vaccine, the world has changed. And post Minneapolis, the world has changed. And one, obviously, you get a vaccine. It's going to take a little while. But uh, anyone who's not adjusting, listen to our show, the CEOs who come on May of Money. They're all adjusting post-Minneapolis. They know they have to. They've been laggards. They ought to get a little bit more understanding about how the country's changing. Yeah. Uh, also, New Jersey right now, guys, doubling the number of states with those quarantine restrictions to 16. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. We did take a small leg lower on that disappointing <laughs> Chicago PMI. And Boeing's dragging about 60 points off the Dow. We're back in a minute. Take a look at the NASDAQ 100 leaders for the year. Zoom, Tesla, Dexcom uh, on top of the list. The NDX has finally moved below its 20-day moving average for the first time in 58 days. It's the longest streak in just about 20 years. Back after a short break. It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. Carl, here's a great stock to watch. It's uh, Lamb Research, uh, run by Tim Archer. He's fantastic. LRCX is up 12 points. Why? It's a capital equipment company. Why? It, it is up because Sanjay Marotra basically said, listen, we're going to try to have discipline about how much equipment we buy to be able to make more chips. People aren't believing him. People are saying, you know what? There's so much demand. we got to go to Lamb and get more equipment to be able to make more chips. Uh, I think you make money either way with Lamb because it's just very, very well run. It's a great company. Just a great company. We did get this Digitimes piece, Jim, that uh, suppliers expect iPhone 5G shipments to be less than half of prior estimates. Do we buy that today or is it all the requisite caveats? No, that's probably stupid. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, there isn't any sign from any of the people. Who, many, who do they talk to? I probably talked about 10 companies in, uh, in the 5G industry uh, and I talk to them every week. Yeah. This is really great. They're, they're just so thrilled. I don't know. Where do people get stuff? I mean, do they, they should make more calls. They should have less of a life and make more calls. We're always, we're always a little leery of some of these supply chain yeah. uh, stories, especially regarding Apple. Uh, Jim, so honey, uh, Cody tonight. Yeah, Dave Cody, uh, formerly my uh, next-door neighbor, the, a really great book. I mean, it, it is a fabulous book, and it really takes a shot at a lot of CEOs. Jay Brown, Crown Castle, has been an amazing story, and it continues to be an amazing story. People underestimate the tower. Sean Connolly just blows the numbers away with ConAgra. Let's see if it can stay, because a lot of these stay-at-home stories people don't believe in anymore. And again, the, the, look, CEOs who come on my show, left-wing, right-wing, Carl, they've changed their view. And, and you hate them or like them. They've changed their view. Uh, Facebook is not. Uh, Jim, we're going to wait to see if that changes as well. Uh, if, if we get any incremental moves uh, in policy out of Facebook, we'll see it tonight. Okay, thank you. Of course, Mad Money's at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.